I was born when she kissed me. I died when she left me. I lived a few weeks while she loved me. Welcome to Criterion Close-Up. Okay. <laughs> well, you saved me from having to try my terrible bogey impression, so thank you for that. <laughs> Anytime. Uh, uh, yeah, nobody can do bogey. Uh, he's just, well, no, I shouldn't say that, but very distinctive voice, and I, I, don't, I don't smoke. I'm not from whatever part of the country <laughs> that accent and came definitely from. definitely... Don't take up smoking either. So, yeah, I'm, he I, died at 57, I think. So, you don't need no. to. No. <laughs> I'm not going to take up smoking just for the impression. So, <laughs> well, good to talk to you again, Aaron, on Criterion Close Up episode number 45 in a Lonely Place. And uh, folks probably hear some nice uh, new music uh, playing. Uh, well, I should say that introed us today. Um, some nice music from Mr. Ben Modell, a most recent uh, guest. Um, we had talking about well, si- he's a silent film accompanist, and uh, he's also <laughs> thank you. You know, it's all it's just a company and then ist, but right. it's still hard to say. Yeah, and uh, silent film historian. We had him on uh, talking about his work a few episodes ago, and he recorded some new music for us. So yeah, yeah thank I, thank I, you, Ben. Really great. It is wonderful. Yeah, and it saves me the stress of trying to find uh, an audio track every week. So right. <laughs> thanks for that. Uh, but yeah, uh, please check out Ben's work. Uh, we, I, we talked about silent film music uh, and, and we'll put a link to that episode in the show notes. But if you're into silent film or into film music, he's uh, he's a gem. So uh, thank you again, Ben. It, it rocks. Yeah. He's a good follow on Twitter and Facebook. Uh, you can see what he's, what he's working on. Maybe he'll be coming to a town near you at some point. But, uh, not near me, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> you never know. So yeah, he's uh, and I just love the music. It it seems appropriate. There's there are some fi- silent films in the collection. It's nice to have mm-hmm. a silent type of uh, music for you know opening and closing our show. Yeah, he he's basically scoring us. So right, that works. <laughs> <laughs> thanks for the score, Ben. Yes, thanks. So, so we want to we want to uh, of course welcome. A first-time guest, first-time caller, Matt Gastire from Criterion on the Brain and Criterion by Spine. Welcome, Matt. Thank you very much, long-time listener. <laughs> first-time caller. <laughs> nice. Uh, Thank yeah. you for listening. Matt, uh, well, Criterion on the Brain is a blog that I've known about for really years now. And, uh, and I, in fact, I, I, I remember when I made the connection that you were the blog. It was, what, maybe a year or two ago? Um and I yeah, was like, wow, that's, yeah, and uh, it, I, it was kind of neat to meet you, and um, and actually, it's too bad we, it took so long to get you on the show, but um, but you, like me, gave up blogging, right? Yeah, uh, just about a month or two ago, I um, uh, decided that it's been a long time, and <laughs> I can kind of focus mm. on other, other things, and... Um, I've, I've written about over 500 of them, 500 of the Criterion yeah. <laughs> movies. So, uh, you know, it's just t- uh, time for a break. And, uh, and then I wanted to do uh, the uh, Twitter project that I've been working on, which is just uh, tweeting mm-hmm. about each spine number in order and uh, just kind of uh, the appeal of seeing all those spines lined up, as you guys <laughs> are well aware of, mm-hmm. um, uh, mm-hmm. was very... Uh, very interesting to me. So I'm doing that for a little while and, and holding off on the blog. Yeah, it's, it's fun uh, following you because, uh, of, of course, as a Twitter account, it's it's a little, lot different than a blog. But just right. all of a sudden through, uh, you know, all this uh, 
uh, people talking about films, people talking about politics, uh, mostly people talking about politics these days. <laughs> I see a little, uh, oh, it's a spy. No, oh, awesome. Yeah, they're very nice. Of course, 140 characters, you can't exactly get too in-depth, but uh, you you punctuate these uh, uh, the spines pretty well. Thanks. Yeah, I try. I mean, it's definitely, that's part of the fun is, is the challenge of, uh, you know, describing Tokyo story <laughs> in 140, <laughs> in 140 characters. characters. Yeah. With a rating too, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and a uh, and a colon after the number. Don't forget that. So <laughs> that's that's one character. There's a lot of characters. So, uh, but yeah. <laughs> Criterion spines. Uh, check it out. So are, are you gonna? Do you think you'll get back to blogging, or is this just a temporary hiatus? Or I I think I probably will get back to it eventually. Um, there's definitely been some some movies that I've watched uh, since I stopped that I had the urge to to uh, write about. So uh, you never yeah. know. We'll see. Yeah. You've been doing it for a long time, too, Matt. Back to 2009, it looks like, per the blog. Yep. That's seven years of, uh, of writing. That's, that's impressive. Yeah, I never He's thought up. I'd get this far, but here I am. <laughs> He's up there with, uh, well, really, he's up there um, with David. Jamie is really the Criterion blog titans. Um, so, um, and people like me are, are pretenders. <laughs> so... Uh, but, but we but, switched to the uh, you switched to the audio format uh, for the most part. So I did, and I did find out Smart that move. that Matt <laughs> seems to agree with me a lot, which is awesome. So thank you for that, Matt. Yeah, it does come up uh, more and more. Uh, <laughs> um, but sometimes I, I hear my opinions coming out of your mouth, and um, you, you you weren't aware <laughs> right. of them previously. So either you're psychic, or uh, right. we we gel very nicely. I'm the Matt uh, puppet. <laughs> So, all right, lim- nice. litmus test, uh, jellyfish eyes. Give me a reaction. <laughs> uh, you know, I think I probably like that a little bit better than you, but um, I, I probably, I'd probably give it a six. Okay, hmm. but I think that's, that's a fair. fair rating. Yeah. yeah, and better than me would is a pretty low bar. Yes, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, first time guest, Matt, we have to get your Criterion connection. How did you become aware of Criterion? I, I, and like I said, blog started two thousand nine. This must go back a little ways. Yeah, well, actually, it goes back a lot longer than that. Um, I uh, I was aware of Criterion in the 90s. Um, one of my friend's dads had a Laserdisc player, so we watched a couple of uh, Criterions through mm. that, and I always saw them at the store and found the, the covers uh, appealing. And nice. uh, when I got a DVD player uh, around, like, 1999 or 2000, um, I started picking up a few of them. Um, I think the first one I was trying to remember... Because uh, I know I know a lot of people mention this on the show. I think the first one I bought was the Red Shoes. Um, ah, good one. And uh, and then you know picked up a few others, the West and early Wes Anderson ones, uh, that kind of <laughs> stuff. Um, Wes always comes up. Yeah, the, yeah, the I know. Too. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Last week too. Yeah. Well, it's. I think part of it was is the the uh, the appeal of seeing a, a contemporary movie that you really like uh, included right. in Criterion. It gives you, uh, I think, a stronger sense of their taste and the direction that they want to go with the brand with contemporary movies because sure. they sure. don't have mm. the the sort of broad approval of the uh of the film canon to uh mm-hmm. to guide them um and so seeing seeing rushmore with that little line at the top of the of the of the uh cover is uh was very appealing to uh to me you know when i was uh, really getting into movies um 
I think w when I really fell in love with Criterion and and why I'm you know sitting here today was uh, mm -hmm. when they released uh, Trouble in Paradise, the Lubitsch movie. Oh, great! Uh, oh, which yeah. I actually wrote in uh, to the, on to the email address to request uh, so so long ago, um, and uh, I had seen that movie once at a movie theater that was never available on VHS. So I had been waiting for about five or six years to see it again. And uh, so I was there first day in the store to, to buy that buy that one. And that was when I was a, a lifelong fan. Um, and then uh, here and there over the next few years, I tried to uh, watch as many of them as I could, um, although it was a lot slower going back then without streaming. Um, right. <laughs> and then in 2009, um, I had just finished uh, a few th a few projects that I had been working on and um, decided I was going to watch them all, uh, not really thinking that I would get <laughs> anywhere and started <laughs> the blog on a large set the goal. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. um, I, I figured I'd watch most of the ones that came out each month just to sort of keep up um, mm -hmm. and then filled my Netflix queue up with a bunch of other ones. And then uh, um, started the blog probably within, you know, five minutes, uh, and, um, just as a way to, to keep track of what I had watched and, um, and to sort of motivate me, um, more, more as yeah. a journal than as a, uh, a uh, you know, a, a magazine for pe other people to read. Sure. Doing it for sure. yourself. Yeah. 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 That's, and then that's how um, I began mine too. I, I just, yeah. I, I want to keep up with this stuff. So yeah, it's, it's, I mean, it's been great to go and look back, you know, because you forget after years of, of not watching something, you, what your immediate take on it was. So it is nice to go back. Um, and then that month, uh, that I started coincidentally, they put up about 30 or 40 criterion movies on Netflix streaming. Um, nice. <laughs> and, uh, so I just went crazy and uh right about the time i ended eventually they had over a hundred on netflix and right about the time i ended that you know queue that i had uh the hulu deal was announced so oh, yeah. uh it was it was just sort of this amazing uh coincidence and uh that's allowed me to go as quickly as i did without purchasing them all um and uh um I finished, I almost finished in 2013 and then Zatoichi was announced <laughs> um, <laughs> oh, boy. and that, yeah. that was a bit demoralizing. Um, but then, uh, about, I would say in last April, I was the first time I've watched every spine number, uh, that's been released to date. And, uh, so that that's is it. An impressive feather in your cap. Yes. Very impressive. Yeah. It's very, uh, it was, it was a long time, but, uh, it was worth it. <laughs> I, I would, I would, uh, recommend it to every single person that loves movies. <laughs> nice. That's nice. the feather that pretty much every criterion file is striving for, but that's, that's, yep. that's quite a, uh, ordeal or quite a, quite a task. Uh, so is there pressure to keep up now? Yeah, there definitely is. I mean, I don't want to fall mm. too far behind. That is what happened to me in the ensuing post Zatoichi uh, years. Yeah. Um, so I I do want to uh, try to watch uh, everything as as soon as possible, just so that I don't end up with another um, pile of eighty. Um, but you know, you always want to walk the balance between watching them all just to watch them all and yeah. um, really sure. enjoying them and appreciating them for what they are. So, you know, I considering I, yeah. supplements, right, that, for sure. Yeah. Right. And, and, um, you know, I mean, 
you don't you, you don't want it to be just uh, a, a title that you're crossing off on a list. You want to really give mm -hmm. it its due diligence because these are um, many of the best movies ever made, and um, uh, many of my favorite movies that I've watched over the course of the project um, are the movies that I probably never would have watched in the first place. Um, I, I would say my favorite sure. director is is right now is Ozu. And I didn't really care for the couple of Ozus I had seen before I started uh, this project. So um, it took, Funny it how took that really, works. yeah, it took really sitting down with all of them and uh, um, and sort of getting his rhythm before I, I really fell in love. And uh, now there's there's no return. That's a great way to um, um, summarize Ozu. You really do have to have to get into his pace uh, and i think my first ozu was tokyo story yes and i had trouble with it but hmm. it's a language you have to understand once once you understand it and you yeah it's it is now like a a relaxing experience i look forward to each hmm. time i watch an ozu so yeah um well that's awesome matt thanks for for coming on yeah, sure. yeah, it's great Thanks to for having me. Great to have you, definitely, uh, especially with that feather in your cap. And we, we do interact <laughs> online on uh, Criterion Completion. It's good to interact with you there and keep track of what you're working on. So very you, cool. You might be the first complete guy we've had, probably. Yeah. Because David, probably not. Right. Yeah. So there you go, Matt. Yeah, David is not. I've, I've actually never encountered another person. Um, I think Michael on the uh, on the Criterion Completion page is coming up on it. Right. He's about to be finished. Um, but he's retired, so I don't count him. There's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. an excuse. Huh? Having a job yeah, exactly. and this hobby is, is tough to juggle. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. No, but it, he, I mean, he's actually watching, including the, the Eclipse and all the stuff on Hulu. So I'm very impressed with, with his progress. And uh, I would like to get there as well one day, mm -hmm. but um, I'm, not, I'm not approaching that with the same uh, religious zeal as I, uh, as I have the, the spine numbers at this point. And David has his Criterion Chronology, and I, I'm at 52%. Uh, that, that has all the bonus, or the bonus films and Eclipse, Hulu, LaserDisc, right. everything. That's a that's I think seventeen hundred films, eighteen hundred films. So yeah, big. It's a, that's a life goals, guys. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, I'm at sixty seven percent on that. Um, that's, yeah. So and that, but that's you know about five hundred movies. Yeah. So <laughs> I've got uh, I've got a ways to go before I'm, I'm close to that. Well, thank you, Matt. Again, great to have you on. Uh, we should now transition into uh, in a lonely place. We'll take a quick break. Come right back. You're out of your mind. How could anybody like a face like this? Look at it. I said I liked it. I didn't say I wanted to kiss it. Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West and Matt Gastire. We are talking about In a Lonely Place, a Nicholas Ray film. And guys, I'm on a bit of a roll, so I'm going to set this up uh, actually using the trailer. Okay, So it's a two-and-a-half-minute trailer on the disc. We have suspense in the night, intrigue at dawn, suspicion round the clock, suspense grows with every word, every touch, every kiss. The suspense picture of the year mounting to a surprising surprise climax. How was that? 
Man, you're a dork. <laughs> <laughs> Does it really say surprising surprise? Yep. I didn't watch the trailer. Well, <laughs> and I know pot pot meat kettle, but <laughs> oh no, I, I actually I did get that wrong. St- uh, stunning surprise. Sorry. Oh okay. <laughs> surprising surprise. Yeah, those old trailers are. That would have been really pretty something. surprising. <laughs> I, I just I had to lead with that. I I just love how they and it, there isn't a voice for them. It just kind of it shows the mm-hmm. um, you know the the titles. So just really trying to to uh, to pull you in, and they're such long <laughs> trailers too. I mean, they're two and a half minutes oh, yeah. long. It just seems really long. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I actually didn't watch the trailer, so I'm glad I now I have something to look forward to. <laughs> <laughs> I'll I'll do the voiceover for you next time. Thank so. you. Uh, so this is spine number eight ten. Uh, it did come out this year. It's a May 2016 release. Uh, Nicholas Ray directed, starring Humphrey Bogart, Gloria Graham. Ray, uh, Frank Lovejoy, Art Smith. Uh, it's based on a book by Dorothy Hughes. It had an ad- the adaptation is by Edward North, and the screenplay itself by Andrew Solt. Uh, I think it's a little bit important the uh, the writing part of this. They do reference back to the the book quite a bit and the differences in some of the uh, the supplements. But uh, the film is about it's about a gifted but washed up screenwriter with a hair trigger temper. This is per Criterion. Uh, so it's Bogart in a relevatory, vulnerable performance, and uh, he becomes a, the prime suspect in a brutal Tinseltown murder. And the only person who can supply him with an alibi is the seductive neighbor, played by Gro- Gloria Graham with a troubled past. So, yeah, it's a suspenseful noir, but also devastating melodrama, and uh, about you know two two people desperate for love yet struggling uh, with their demons and each other really encompasses the the film uh, considered one of the great films of the 1950s and certainly an important film for the classic hollywood auteur uh, nicholas ray so we thought we would uh, really start the discussion talking about nicholas ray and uh, how he um, his career a little bit so aaron i'm going to turn it to you to set us up with mr ray Sure, uh, I'll be very brief. Uh, Nicholas Ray is uh, was crazy. <laughs> uh, had some issues. Uh, had some, I think, some personality issues. But uh, tremendous filmmaker. I think he's definitely considered one of the greats. Although he really wasn't recognized in his time too much. I think Rebel Without a Cause uh, was, well, it was definitely successful, uh, and moderately critically successful. But most of his others, you know, Johnny Guitar made some money, but uh, it wasn't really well received at the time. Uh, and really, all of his others were, I, I think they were a little above people. Uh, you know, they, mm. Even though they, they do, uh, they are genre films in, in a way. This is noir, Johnny Guitar is a western, um, Rebel Without a Cause is a teen flick. They do uh, touch on alienation, you know, you they're more subtle, so they... Not uh, they don't deal in as much extremes, although this one certainly has plenty of extremes. But uh, so yeah, he's he's a different kind of filmmaker, and it's really the French people, the French critics, who who really uh, came to appreciate them. And in fact, he was a, a ma- major inspiration for the French New Wave. Uh, Francois Truffaut uh, s- considers Johnny Guitar like a, a pretty much a monumental life experience for him. And I love film, but I don't think any film is a monumental life experience for me. Uh, of course, Godard was influenced by Ray, and uh, and yeah, his his reputation in the, over the years has definitely grown uh, by leaps and bounds, and and really a small body of work. You know, really, there's about a decade or so, uh, maybe even less than that, that you could call his peak. 
really from the beginning of his career until like the mid to late fifties. But, uh, you know, his, his big pictures now are seen as, um, you know, some of the greatest of that, that era. And I, 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 I am on board with that. So, uh, this is his second film on Criterion. The other was bigger than life, which I think is also about alienation and, uh, uh, and I, and I mentioned he's crazy, uh, a lot of that comes out in his movies, definitely this one, uh, just his disorientation, disillusionment, disillusionment with uh, post-war life, with Hollywood, maybe with marriage sometimes. Well, I think we'll get into that. So, so yeah, Nicholas Ray, he's something. <laughs> do you guys agree that he's crazy? Yeah. <laughs> what do you but, think, Matt? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that he was a... Um, you know, I kind of uh, group him in with Sam Fuller. Yes, uh, there's kind of the same a, guy. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of um, playing with masculinity and social themes uh, that um, people often do not associate with uh, the 1950s. There's a lot of sort of pushing back against what is perceived of as the normal quote unquote life in the 1950s. And I think even uh, in both In a Lonely Place, uh, which we'll get to, obviously, and um, Johnny Guitar, where they, they're very much genre pictures. Um, he's constantly pushing against uh, the notion of what that genre is. And um, I, I think in that way, he's really he, he's very much a contrarian director. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and so even even the, his movies that I'm I don't particularly care for like for example rebel without a cause um are always very interesting uh in their context and uh and worth seeing because he always has something to say regardless of whether you're um you're going to necessarily enjoy it or not (laughs) yeah and should add that uh, ray and fuller were both in uh the american friend too uh, cameos and you know they kind of looked alike in their older older years they do except and they both drank uh and, <laughs> although pretty much everybody drank all, all say, it seems a prerequisite for directors and actors to and, and writers too yeah <laughs> right of course uh, ray had the eye patch uh, but that's uh, i don't think fuller had an eye patch but others have have uh, that's been he had an eye patch in his soul <laughs> he did <laughs> there that's you right. go uh, yeah, quite a, quite a talent uh yeah maybe crazy is not the right word but he was he definitely had some um some issues he he worked out and i think we're actually lucky that he worked a lot of them out on film or expressed them on film yeah yeah it seemed like he uh I, you know to what you alluded to too matt that he he worked or he worked best um, when he was pushing against the system um and when he was kind of outside of the the, the hollywood system uh didn't seem to to do as well so Mm-hmm. Yeah, in the words of Jean-Luc Godard, cinema is Nicholas Ray. So, you know, we wouldn't have the, the French New Wave as it is today, probably, if it wasn't for him. So we can, you know, thank him for that. Yep. Uh, and Truffaut so, said uh, Johnny Guitar has more important importance in his life than in Nicholas Ray's. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which is saying something. Yes. That's yeah, a great, great quote, funny. I think. Uh, yeah, that one's available on... Uh, a, like you said, only two from Criterion. That's from Olive Films coming out in a special uh, edition soon, too, signature right. edition. So, that's probably my favorite Joan Crawford movie. Yeah, it's a great one uh, about femininity and uh, and toughness. Uh, a great female character, actually. So, 
He was certainly uh, good with his his female characters. We'll get into Gloria sure. Graham in a bit. But uh, yeah, so why don't we, let's talk about, that's Nicholas Ray, let's talk about the film a bit. Let's, uh, we wanted to set it up with talking about it as a film noir does come um, it, within the film noir period, and uh, but does seem to be a bit different as a noir. Uh, some folks might even consider it not a noir and more of a, you know, as I'd mentioned before, as Criterion said, more melodramatic elements. So curious what you guys think about this film, how it fits into that um, you know, does it have the elements of a film noir? Does it does it fit? What do you what do you think, Matt, about the film? Uh, I would definitely categorize this as a noir. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that uh, you know, and we can get into the the sort of shifts in tone. Um, there there are elements of the movie as it goes on that uh, become more melodramatic, and the perspective of the movie, and almost practically the protagonist of the movie shifts. Um, and then it becomes uh, less of a noir, but I think that that's very much conscious on mm-hmm. the part of the writers and the, and, and Ray. Um, so I, I think the movie is best understood in the context of noir. Uh, and that ties immediately into Bogart himself because he's very much playing uh almost uh, a deconstruction of the character that he defined um, in early noir movies. So I think it's both best understood as a noir and uh, has many of the elements that make noir such an appealing uh, genre. Yeah, I'm with that. Uh, the, The thing about noir is, of course, film students know that noir was not, people didn't say, oh, let's make a film noir back in the 40s and 50s. That was a label that was applied, actually, again, by the French critics uh, after the fact. Really, André Bazin uh, really started that. But those, those, I guess, elements that you uh, mentioned, they're not, they're not at all consistent. Uh, you know, most noirs have a femme fatale. This one has a femme, or no, I'm sorry, a male fatale. <laughs> <laughs> but it does have, uh, you know, it has lights and shadows. It does have a lot of angst. You know, I think it's, again, represents the post-war uh, I guess uncertainty pretty well. You know these these films were a context in, in context of their times, and I think reflected the the feelings of their times, the the negativity and uh, the uncertainty. And yeah, I, I think this one definitely captures that. Uh, we have a, a very violent character. Uh, we mm. have a very uh, we have a pretty strong female character, but somewhat submissive, but somewhat not. Uh, she's she's more of an enigma, uh, and actually the entire. Uh, story is uh, very enigmatic it's uh it's not something that's that spoon-fed to us uh, which i think is again you know we, d- we talk about noirs the big sleep try to make sense of that thing so um oh, yeah. yeah and uh, actually, see it. i've only seen it once it's uh i think you need about three views to deconstruct that one uh, i give it 10 you, you won't uh, i think <laughs> raymond chandler needs about three views to figure out what's going on in that. and again that fits with the topic uh we'll be we'll be talking about some bogey films later so uh yeah but i this actually came on the heels of Sunset Boulevard, and that's a, another noir that doesn't have all the the, the paint-by-numbers uh, elements, uh, but definitely I, I think most people would agree, uh, maybe not everybody, would fit into an, as a noir. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say yes. I think there's also another similarity between those two movies, which is the presence of Los Angeles almost as a, a character itself. Yeah. And uh, um, that was a, a very common thing in, in noir um 
double indemnity is a is a, you know one of the best and uh there's a lot of la in that movie and uh it's not not necessarily that every noir had to be set in los angeles but the urban space is mm. uh very important to the genre um even going back to kind of the proto-noir stuff from france um which was itself inspired by the 30s warner brothers gangster movies like pepe pepe lamoco is oh, yeah. uh very much about the um the city there so the casbah um, yes exactly so i i think uh there's a lot of that in here and ray does a lot of um shifting back and forth between sets and uh street scenes and um almost like a play format and then going back into movie um there's a lot of uh, rear. There's some rear projection in here that's very yeah. obvious, almost yeah. Hitchcock level obvious. Mm-hmm. And yet, there's also scenes that are clearly not rear projection where he wanted to give uh, provide a different effect. So I think all of these things are being done very consciously by him to to uh, signify the genre and then later in the movie upend it. Yeah, place as a as another you know as a third character, you know, like you said, he did he did study uh, under was it Frank Lloyd Wright uh, architecture, so it makes sense that he would you know, incorporate that into his film. I I think of um, noir as uh, have one element that seems to happen in every noir late in the film. Typically, is the desperate walk or run uh, that the protagonist does, kind of the crazy walk, I guess you could you could call it, and. <laughs> This film doesn't have the walk, but it has the drive, and it's got mm-hmm. Bogey just, you know, stoically uh, driving, doing the uh, the crazy drive, and how that uh, that ends. But and also, you know, I, I was thinking about the the book is in the third person, uh, follows Dicks Dicks around. The movie is often with Dicks, uh, but we also, you know, like you said, does shift Matt uh, to the Laurel character really, and uh, you know, but it's still all in the um, the third person. Um, with you know, and without uh, sure, without voice, without voiceover. So, yeah. although there is one exception to that, which is when he brings the um, the coat check check woman home at the beginning, and there's that very striking point of view shot where she's staring directly into the, the camera as she's right, yeah. uh, speaking to him. Um, I, I found that very striking. Um, I haven't I hadn't seen this movie in some time, and. Uh, I didn't re- remember that, and I was expecting there to be sort of a callback to that later in the in the movie. Hmm. But yep, the fact was. that it, it it really comes up just right there, um, I thought was was a pretty interesting touch by by Ray. Yeah. So why don't we uh, delve into just talking about Bo, uh, Humphrey Bogart and Gloria Graham a little bit? Alluded to, to them a bit. Um, curious what you thought about their performances uh we talked about how it does shift a bit in uh, perspective maybe in, in who it follows um but uh yeah what did you what did you guys think about the performances matt uh i think this is one of bogart's best performances mm. um i uh am a huge humphrey bogart fan um when i saw this movie i was probably about 15 or 16 um and uh had already kind of held him up as pro- probably my favorite actor ever. And this movie really messed me up. And I think part of that is um, that in the beginning of the movie, he's very much the bogey character um, that, you know, we know from Maltese Falcon and Casablanca and Big Sleep. Um, he is that guy. He's always got the witty retort. Um, he's very cool and calm, casual. 
even in the uh, early scenes uh, of violence, he's being violent in a way that was accepted in that era. He's sticking yeah. up for people who are weaker. Um, and I think, uh, you know, when he, when he gets into the fight over the older, uh, act drunk actor who, um, is obviously inspired by, um, Barrymore, um, when he hits the guy, you kind of, you kind of like that he hit the mm -hmm. guy because he was out of line. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think that's very intentional because eventually you learn just how, uh, damaged this person is and how aggressively violent he is. And, uh, and it, it, it really, I think this movie really, uh, is a deconstruction of Bogart's character in the same way that, uh, John Wayne's character in the searchers is, um, it's this iconic role that, uh, is one of the most important characters in sort of iconic characters in cinema. Um, and it's the person who played that role, uh, just tearing the myth apart. Um, and, and it's a very difficult thing to watch, uh, as somebody who sort of believes a hundred percent in that myth. Hmm. Um, <laughs> and I think, uh, I think it probably contributed to the fact that the, the movie itself was not particularly successful. Um, even though Bogart had played, obviously, uh, and we'll get into it, an, an enormous amount of bad guys previously, even just a few years ago uh, in Treasure Sierra Madre, he played a terrible, terrible person. <laughs> mm -hmm. Or as as Bogart said, I don't know if we're explicit here, but a real S-H-I-T. Um, uh, uh, a real shit. We can he, be explicit. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, he, uh, he never... Uh, he never began as the Bogart character in that movie. He was always uh, a loser. Mm -hmm. And in his early movies, he's the, he's the heavy right from the beginning. Right. And I think, uh, I think it's very, it was very easy for people to immediately separate that Bogart that they had known as the side character, as the actor performance character with the Bogart of the, the big screen. And this movie sort of refuses to let you off the hook for believing in that character and believing he's going to be able to, in the end, you know, let Ingrid Bergman get on that plane. Um, right. because, uh, because that's not the way that, that guys like this operate. Yeah. This is not Rick for sure. Uh, no, no. I, very much an anti-hero I'd say. Uh, I mean, he's not really a hero at all, but you know, like the modern anti-heroes, which was really not, seen too often in the 50s uh i even treasure the sierra madre i'd say he was uh he was just desp despicable but not in the same manner as uh as this character but i, I think you're right he i think he was conscious of his of his his character the bogey character which of course we have we have a subtopic coming on bogey which we'll get into and i think he does uh as you as you said deconstruct it um by turning it on its head and uh, he's just really full of angst and animosity and hatred towards everything. I mean, he's just really a bitter individual and we, we only see hints of it. Uh, and we, like the car scene, for example, uh, you know, just, right. just seeing the look on his face uh, is not you, not even in Sierra Madre or even the African queen. Uh, well, he's pretty benevolent in the African queen, but intense, but uh, yeah, it's, I, I think he really was uh I think he demonstrated more range than most movies, and I, I think he 
pushed himself further, and and he did tear apart the mm-hmm. bogey myth. And you're probably right, Matt. This, that's probably why one reason why it wasn't successful because it was probably built up as a bogey movie. And you know, this is not Casablanca. This is not uh, 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 treasure, even Treasure of the Sierra Madre. This is yeah. a pretty bitter film. Yeah, certainly. I'm sure tough for people to wrap their heads around and you do get the uh the menace in his face even even when he's not being violent uh you can just see the 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 menace on his face like you alluded to aaron and i i think he's um i I know this is kind of considered i think it was the actress writer louise brooks alluded to the fact that this is the role closest to the real bogart so you know we see bogart being um kind of playing playing the character in other films and maybe this is the the closest to him i had heard at one point that you know if you run into bogart at one point you know he'd really been kind of honing his craft as, as far as creating the character that you alluded to but he um and if you were to run into him on the street uh he'd kind of put on the bogart face if it was someone that he you know didn't didn't know or uh was was familiar with so hmm. um and i i think um you know, I guess to kind of bring it to Gloria Graham, too, curious, you know, what you guys think about her. Uh, I, I think she's very uh, cool, especially early on, because, you know, you don't really know what she's thinking, where she's coming from. And she tries to be in control of herself and her situation. And uh, it's kind of heartbreaking for her. And I think for the audience about how she she loses that control. Um, the relationship is pretty, pretty tenuous. And, um, you know, even how Laurel, I, I think, is attracted to Dixon. Uh, not, oh, I'm, I'm not always on board with that uh, for, for whatever reason. Um, you know, and, and, but she's in control of kind of her face and emotions until she, she falls in love. And we finally see that, um, that, that happy face. So, and then, you know, the, the later insecurity is kind of difficult to, to take. Any, any other, uh, any comments on kind of the relationship between the two yeah i i know what you mean in terms of it um being about a difficult jump from from her meeting him to uh to sort of falling in love and being ready to uh serve him food as he's (laughs) hunched over the keyboard right but i think uh i do wonder if that's intentional um because he humphrey bogart is humphrey bogart you know, if this role had been played by somebody else, maybe it wouldn't have been uh, as powerful. Um, but I, I really like the way she says, "I like his face." Yeah, I because think of the same yes. thing. Um, you know, Bogart was the was a guy who it took uh, Warner Brothers fifteen years practically to uh, be convinced that women found this guy attractive. Right. Mm-hmm. Because uh, and it was it was women writing letters and uh, going to see his movies that convinced finally convinced mm-hmm. them. Uh, to put him as a as a romantic lead uh, in a movie, yeah, it's, and, it's an interesting face, but it's not a particularly you know normally um, handsome face, which you would consider yeah. a handsome face. Not yeah, I think in yeah, and I think in many ways he kind of set the bar for that style of male movie star that is not particularly the most beautiful, mm-hmm. perfect looking guy uh, you've ever seen, but um, has a has a certain uh, pull whether it's the way he carries himself or uh, the, a certain thing that's unique about his face. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, in Bogart's case, he had that, that snarl from his, his busted lip. Um, right. And, and I think, uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, it is, it is still a mystery, but I, I think, um, I think that's a lot of, uh, of how, how their relationship is able to work as well as it does in the movie while still kind of uh, having her retain 
a little bit of her dignity for the the back half of the movie. Mm. Um, but yeah, I you don't really I, you don't really get to know her as well as Bogart, I think, and it, that's probably yeah. maybe that's that's part of it. Where you know maybe there's something we don't know in her past as to why she would uh, fall in love with Dixon, you know, more than just uh, you know he has an interesting face. But maybe that was it. You know, who knows? He he actually addresses that. Uh, he says, "You're out of your mind. How can anybody like a face like this?" Uh, so <laughs> so I think right. I, yeah. I'm sure that was intentional. Uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah, that's a great line. Yeah, yeah, yeah. A, lot of, a lot of great lines in this movie. So, I, I actually really loved Gloria Graham in this movie. I, I think she played, uh, you know, at times she played a sort of a naive character. Uh, and, and I know there is a leap uh, with her falling in love with this person that I wasn't exactly on board with. But I just, I, I liked her, the, the way she, the, the stoic delivery of her lines. I, I liked yeah. the, the her, even her lisp, I, I thought it was really appropriate. This is not your average ordinary person in fact i think it's interesting that bacall was going uh, that bogey wanted bacall but of course uh uh nicholas ray was married to uh, graham and again i think that's you know reflects real life a little bit uh yeah and it was originally going to be ginger rogers even after that but they she wasn't able to um to get out of uh or to be loaned to uh to columbia for the movie but she doesn't have as much range as uh as as Bogart in this film, but I, th- I think she just really does a great job at, uh, at carrying herself as a strong female, uh, you know, the, the aggressive female, uh, sexually aggressive with the liking her, her face, uh, his face to somebody she's really never met. And, and then, uh, the independent streak, uh, towards the end, I think even though there's a, a logical issue with her falling in love with him, it makes sense of, of her. And by the way, we get into spoilers in this podcast, but it makes sense that she falls out of love with him because she does have that. Uh, she is a strong female, and she does have that independence uh, that she would recognize the signs. And actually, you know, even whether it's real or imagined, if she suspects that he is capable of uh, uh, atrocity, she's uh, going to bail. Yeah, yeah, and I think she. Uh, I mean, really, in the second half of this movie, uh, this is her movie. Um, yeah. And I think if, if this movie was made by almost any other director, this if you told them this story, it would probably be uh, from the entire time from the perspective of the female character, which they, you know they mention in the commentary that it's almost a women's picture. And I, yeah. I do think that's that's uh, very true. That that um, eventually it becomes about her and how she's going to get out of this situation or. Um, does she really believe that this guy uh, committed the murder? And then ultimately, right. it you know, as as she says, it no, it no longer matters whether he committed the murder or not because he's revealed his character, regardless of whether he did this this horrible crime or not. Yeah, right. it he's... keeps us invested too, trying to figure out. I mean, you know, on on first watch, do you feel like he committed the murder or not? I mean, there's certainly that mystery uh, behind it, and yeah. you're kind of trying to learn it as she's, you know, in, investigating, kind of learning it her, you know, herself, and of course the uh, the police, Lochner. Um, uh, and she says, uh, you know, of course, at the very end when she learns that he's not the murderer, she says, "You you should have told me that yesterday," uh, and I. She's basically implying that if they had, he might not have shown her his true colors with you know the car scene, and again, I the car scene we show we see him in his menacing 
violent uh, monstrosity uh, persona, but we see him from her perspective. We really see the way right. she reacts to this, and uh, and I think that's again what makes her such a strong character and gives such a strong performance. So yeah, I, I was quite taken by her, and this was the the third time I saw this, if you count the commentary. So um, um, the more I got, I dug into it, uh, the more I, I found myself, uh, I guess. Um, aligning myself with her or uh, uh, relating with her. Now, you're driving up the canyon. Your left hand's on the wheel. Yeah, yeah, go ahead. She's, uh, she's telling you she's done nothing wrong. You pretend to believe her. You put your right arm around her neck. You get to a lonely place in the road and you begin to squeeze. You're an ex-GI, you know judo. You know how to kill a person without using your hands. You're driving the car and, and you're strangling her. You don't see her bulging eyes or protruding tongue. Go ahead, go ahead, bruv. Squeeze harder. You love her and she's deceived you. You hate her patronizing attitude. She looks down on you. She's impressed with celebrities. She wants to get rid of you. You squeeze harder. Harder. Squeeze harder. It's wonderful to feel her throat crush under your arm. So, I mean, you you alluded to the violence, Aaron. We should talk about a little bit just how it uh, informs this character. Um, you know, he is Dixon Steele. He is former military. So, um, you know, maybe you might, I mean, it seems stereotypical, but see him as someone who's quick to escalation and, uh, you know, has a, a temper and he knows the he's someone who knows the the machinations of murder i mean he is a, a writer and we see that play out in a particular scene where he actually you know acts as the director uh, for uh, the murder um, you know, from the, the film. So you wonder how, you know, as an audience, it kind of, again, that pulls you along is, uh, you know, in following the Laurel character and wondering, is he someone who could carry out um, this particular murder? And, you know, those kinds of clues make you think maybe he, he could. So curious uh, what you guys thought about the, uh, the violence in this film and how that uh, informs his character. Um, I, I think, you know, if this movie had been made, a few years previous, you probably would not have seen those pictures. And I think it becomes a lot more real mm -hmm. uh, when that happens, because mm -hmm. you're no longer dealing with just a guy that likes to get into fights, you know, and um, it becomes uh, about uh, a woman being murdered. And um, it does. And, and I think, uh, I think that makes all of his subsequent uh, in, in violent encounters um, that much more intense because you have seen firsthand where things like this can lead um, in this world. And, you know, it's no longer somebody getting shot and there's no blood and they're just double over and fall to the ground. Um, you know, you're looking at, at, a, at a, a body um, laying on the ground. So I, I think that uh, that element of it... Um, really uh, escalates uh, what happens later on and uh, and raises the stakes in that way. Yeah, it's pretty violent. Um, and uh, I think one of the best scenes in this film, at least for me, is when he's uh, talking to the, uh, the, the other couple. Um, I yeah. was, um, and that's where the, the quote, in a lonely place, uh, um, comes from. And and you see the the intensity and and actually I, I'd say that 
whether he committed the murder or not, this individual is criminally insane and is c- capable of it. Uh, and, and you can even see by his reaction to the, uh, to, to the fact that this lady was killed. I mean, Mark, if somebody, uh, if you have drinks with somebody and they die uh, two hours later, are you going to be matter of fact at the police station next the next morning? Um, Probably not. No, I'll have a different uh, reaction. It, it's like he's almost in in that scene. He's almost in you know writing mode. You know, like he's writing. He's heard about a murder and he's like, boy, you know, how could I incorporate this into a a, a script? It's um, yeah. And not we have. I'd react. Haven't really touched about it. Films with it's a film within film. Uh, you know, not to the level as a player, but I, I think mm-hmm. in a way because he does work in films that that sort of desensitivity um, actually applies here. Uh, he as a, as a writer, he sees it as even though it's real life, he might see it as uh, another one of his projects, and uh, and and we see that with the procedural too. He's He's seeing the procedural uh, from the perspective of somebody that writes movies and actually real life uh, murders, even in 1951 or 1950, are not like they were in the movie, especially in 1950, 1951. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, he seems bored with real life with, you know, regular people like uh, uh, Audrey, the early character and you know even it's almost like Mildred. he's ener- Mil- Mildred thank you uh, it's almost like he's uh, energized by um, you know being there and thinking about this story it's uh, it's kind of crazy and it it again gets to his his character that um, really the only uh, person that he can kind of relate to is Laurel and uh, some of the people that he you know that he goes to with the uh, in the watering hole but um, yeah, and we, we would be remiss. I mean, we like you said, Eric, we, we do open up to, to spoilers. So we didn't talk just briefly about the ending. We did allude to it some. And um, you, know, you tied in the player, Aaron. I was thinking of the player so much with especially seeing this ending for the first time. I mean, I just, I'd say, wow, now this is an ending mm-hmm. um, that the player, you know, the movie within the movie and the player wanted to have originally right. before it was, you know, tested by audiences where it's not a happy ending. Um, Canoga Park and, didn't get uh, to chime in here. <laughs> <laughs> not at all. So, yeah, it's, it's really, you know, you have the, um, um, yeah, I, I guess I, I think of, um, you know, the it, it really is kind of a, a indictment of uh, Hollywood a bit after the player, too. Uh, you've got the uh, the agent, uh, Mel Lippman, kind of playing the security part to steal, um, like we had in, uh, in in the player, kind of keeping trying to keep him in line um, with um, the, the police, uh, telling him uh, what to do, like we do with the security guy in the studio and the player, so... Yeah. Uh, any any other thoughts about how this uh, this ending works or doesn't work, Matt? Well, I think that the fact that um, and it's discussed on just about every supplement here, um, the fact that that uh, he was originally supposed to kill her um, mm-hmm. and then get arrested for the murder um, that he did commit um, is a very uh, interesting angle for the movie. Um I think that there's an argument for either ending. Uh, I definitely think if you watch the rest of the movie, it's setting you up for him to kill her, um, particularly with the race to, uh, you know, get him on the phone. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the, sure. the, uh, the plot line that would not work at all today because they just call him on his cell phone. Um, <laughs> right. Uh, I, th- I definitely think that that is, is set up to for it to be the the call that comes too late uh, as he's standing over her dead body 
Um, Traffic's a I bitch. Also, yeah, <laughs> <Sorry>. yeah, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> nice but I do think that it, that ending would almost have been a little too cute uh, in in a in a way for for this movie. And I think that that leaving it on the kind of violence that he clearly uh, was capable of, uh, and and knowing that that is enough to sort of damn him both in this relationship and in symbolically in his life as he walks out of uh, the uh, the apartment building um, is a much more dark and powerful mm-hmm. ending. Yeah, um, and and whether or not you uh, would say it's uh, realistic uh, or not, um, I think within the context of this character, it's 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 pretty heartbreaking. Yeah, and I kind of wonder. It's not a very code-friendly ending, if you really think about mm-hmm. it. Probably the the yeah. the the code would have wanted him to have been the killer because he's such a despicable human being, and to get convicted for it, uh, to get found out, um, and that that phone call at the end not be, uh, you know, that being that you're come into the uh, police or you're under arrest. Well, I, I guess they wouldn't call him on the phone for that, but it, <laughs> nonetheless. Um, so, so yeah, I, I think the ending is ambiguous, and I think that actually fits well with the rest of the film. If they d- did tack on an ending uh, that was kind of pat and uh, wrap things up as we might have expected it, it wouldn't be nearly as powerful as as the film is. I, no, agreed. It's it's more more interesting than the book too, because the book actually had him playing a uh, he was a serial killer uh, throughout the uh, the film uh, the book itself, and you know you know that as an audience. I just think having him as a more ambiguous character and ambiguous uh, ending is just more more interesting. Mm-hmm. Uh, we can certainly relate to that more than we can a serial killer. Yeah, yeah one last thing on on the book too. Uh, this uh, movie weirdly reminded me of um, as I was going through the supplements of adaptation. Um, because he's a he's a he's a writer who is adapting a book um, and eventually writes a script that has nothing to do with the book which of course this movie is a is a is based on a book that is completely uh, unrelated to the story that ends up in the movie so there is a bit of of a um, a a mirroring there uh, in terms of what what goes on in the movie versus what's happening um, behind the scenes and then you know you, once you learn about Nicholas Ray and um, Bogart and kind of incorporating their personal lives into uh, the movie it becomes this kind of uh, movie about making movies and sort of the sublimation of the uh, of their masculine energy into this uh, into this takedown of their their own psyches <laughs> yeah so I, I guess uh, we might as well transition into ratings, you know, based on that, Matt. I'm just curious. I, you've, it sounds like you'd seen this quite a while ago and uh, wondering what you think of the film itself. What would you give it for uh, an overall film rating? Um, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I go back and forth between an eight and a nine. Mm. I, think, uh, I think as just a pure movie, um, it's probably an eight. I think that there are um, some issues uh, with the plotting and, uh, you know, it's, it's not quite at the, at the level of, uh, of some of Bogart's other classics, but I think it is an essential movie to understanding the Bogart persona. Sure. And he's such an important character in, uh, film history Mm -hmm. that, um, I think I, I I probably lean towards a nine. 
Interesting. Nice. Okay. Yeah. How about you, Aaron? I was actually thinking eight uh, for many of the same reasons as Matt. I, I, we joked earlier, we agree a lot, uh, but hmm. I, I think I, I see a lot of the same holes. I see a lot of the same strengths. Um, but I, I also kind of like the fact that uh, that the, the holes exist and that they aren't, you know, as I mentioned earlier, they're not, not spoon-fed to us. Uh, we, you know, and it was pointed out, I think, in one of the, uh, the commentary or the supplements that uh, we don't even know the timeline. We pretty much are always guessing. So, yeah. so yeah, I I think it's very quality filmmaking. Uh, uh, quite a statement. I'm I, I'm gonna go eight five. Cool. Yeah, I probably would. I could go either way. I'll I'll stick with an eight. I mean, I do think it it does kind of move a little bit strange for me. And I think it does get better with uh, re rewatches, of course. But you know, it's a 1950s film on connecting with those around us and kind of our inability to to do so. It's a that's a universal and timely theme which i appreciate and i i think with the um there's a lot in the relationship and connecting to e to each other um about you know who finding what you're looking for and you know there are demons there laurel has her demons too so um i think uh, and, and the ending you know again eventually basically saying we're all alone there's no happily ever after we have to strive through and survive the loneliness i mean getting back to the the name of the film so i like it a lot i again i think the the film is better than the book uh and i haven't even read the book so <laughs> <laughs> i think it probably is i'll just go there so uh, i'll but i'll stick with an eight so, but let's uh, let's get into the uh, the supplements. Um, we just want to touch on them uh, briefly. Each of us kind of taking one. I'll lead in with the commentary. Uh, I like the 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 commentary is pretty solid. Um, it follows the book. It's actually by a. It's from uh, from 2015. So recorded last year by film scholar Dana Poland um, from the BFI Film Classics. Uh, overall, I, I think it's a, a solid commentary there is a lot of talking in it as one might think in a commentary from a uh, from a film scholar uh, there's almost too much insight i think sometimes yeah. uh, he doesn't really let the the film breathe although he he does stop uh during the i was born when she kissed me line which is good but uh and some but some really good insight i mean i, I think it's a film that you can uh, it's probably obvious to say but commentaries and documentaries uh inform the the film and kind of make you look at it differently but he does hit a number of points uh, numerous times, but he does get into a lot on the commenting, commenting on Ray, the actors, and even uh, lesbianism. Although you're know, talking about the mm -hmm. uh, stereotypical nature of it, so uh, pretty pretty solid uh, commentary was a nice one to to listen to. Uh, but you definitely want to see the film first because you're not going to hear much of the dialogue uh, right, during yeah. the <laughs> the commentary. So. I, I think this the film so. is is easy to get almost too academic with, and I and I. Yep, I, I didn't point, agree yeah. with him completely on everything, although I did enjoy hearing what he was what what he was talking about, what he revealed about the scenes. But uh, but with some com some commentaries, you can watch the film and enjoy it and listen to the commentary. This one was, even though I did enjoy it, it, it felt more like studying the film pretty right. intently. But uh, but that's not to take away from his work. I, I think think he really put a lot in a lot of good stuff into this. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's it's a lot similar. of things I really like in it, but um, I, I did find it a little dry. Um, mm -hmm. He starts off so fast mm -hmm. uh, that I was worried he was going to try to keep up that pace through the whole whole right. movie. Um, yeah, and like eventually, fast noir dialogue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, and describing what's on screen a little too intently, I thought. Right. Um, mm-hmm. But then I think he settled down a little bit and had some really uh, great insights uh, into the movie. I probably would have preferred uh, an a historian on this movie mm-hmm. just sure. to hear a little bit of the background. I thought that would have been um, a little bit better because I do think that a, a lot of what's going on here is is pretty clear um, if you if you watch the movie. Um, but that being said, I, I I watched the whole thing and and enjoyed it so. Yeah, definitely. So, uh, Matt, what do you think about the uh, the documentary about Nicholas um, Ray? I, I thought it was really sad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. I, I, I shouldn't uh, laugh, but yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, uh, you know, uh, so it, it's a it's a it's a documentary that they trimmed slightly um, from an original sixty minutes. It's about forty minutes, uh, shot in the early seventies when he was um, a, a teacher at uh, um, a, a state New York school um, in uh, northern New York. And uh, he hasn't made a movie in over a decade when the movie is made. And he's really, uh, it's very clear that he's lost um, both sort of in his career and uh, in the world. And um, it's, uh, you know, you, there's, it goes back and forth between some really, um, very well told uh stories he obviously still has uh this the skill mm-hmm. um and uh and some good interviews from certain people like Truffaut that was mentioned earlier yeah. um to some very awkward sort of cringeworthy um encounters with uh with some of his students yeah um, yeah and i mean it, it it almost rose to the level of that um uh the uh the Peter Frampton, uh, not Peter Frampton, uh, Hollis Frampton, uh, Hollis Frampton, <laughs> um, the, uh, oh, yeah. the, the argument between mm-hmm. two people. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, and I, I just kept thinking during all of those exchanges, this guy worked with Humphrey Bogart. He worked with John Wayne. He worked with Joan Crawford. Mm-hmm. And, and here he is just, just having to listen to, to these, these mm-hmm. kids, uh, mouth off to him. Um, but I, I do think uh, I do think it's a worthwhile uh, inclusion on on the disc, and and there were some, like I said, some really great insights from him. Um, and it's just interesting to see how somebody who's so attached to the auteur theory and uh, is now held in such high esteem could mm-hmm. have could have fallen so far um, relatively quickly. Pretty amazing. A lot of people did. Orson Welles. That's another yeah. one. Yeah. John Ford yeah. too. Um, yeah, it's the only insight we really get into Ray uh, from his own mouth on this uh, this disc. So it's nice to have that. It would have been nice to get Peter Frampton though. Uh, yes, see that, uh, <laughs> I do that all the time. Do you do like I do? Um, so the Gloria Graham interview—it's actually an interview with uh, Vincent Curcio, who is a biographer. Uh, very interesting. Uh, t- tells a lot of the same stories that we heard in the commentary and a little bit in the documentary about the marriage between Graham and uh, Ray. But I, I thought what was really fascinating about this was that it was almost tabloidish. Uh, it, it, it's the type of uh, stuff it matters to the to the the plot. Uh, the, the stuff that they talk about the uh, Graham's insecurity, pl- plastic surgery, and uh, and how she kept on changing herself, stuff like that. Very, uh, I guess, crucial to the, the background of this film, um, and and maybe how how she comes across. But then uh, the some of the stories, like uh, she, the, the divorce. There was a scandal. Well, actually, it wasn't a scandal. It could have been a scandal, but um, she cheated on Ray with uh, his son from another marriage mm. when he was thirteen. 
Hey, a little young, <laughs> just not, not not great. Yeah. So so anyway, it's it was a little seedy, but it actually in the in a, when I retell this, it, it probably sounds even seedier than it is. Or you know, it's this is not like TMZ, but um, but it was actually really insightful too. Uh, and I, I I think it and again sad, just like the other documentary. Um, sad the way their their marriage, I guess, uh, progressed or, or didn't. Um, and you know the way they both had a little bit of a downfall. So, uh, yeah, no, I, I thought it was actually my favorite uh, uh, piece. Uh, probably my least favorite was the Curtis Hansen thing, uh, which mm. you know I thought was interesting, but it just pretty much rehashed the plot of the movie. Um, yeah, a lot of similar stuff to the commentary. Yeah. And since we're running long, I'll say my Criterion rating is going to remain at an eight. Good, good supplements uh, and get a lot of nice context. But uh, yeah, yeah, I. Could have done with a little more, maybe like a nice visual essay. Oh, yeah. Always love those from Criterion. Mm -hmm. How about you, Matt? I'd probably give it an 8, too. I was surprised when this was announced by the fact that there is nothing on Humphrey Bogart. Um, For the first movie uh, to include him in the collection, I thought they'd go crazy. Uh, Oh, yeah. (laughs) Quite frankly. Um, Because, you know, who knows if Warner's is going to give up any any of uh, his other movies. Um, and, uh, you know, most of, most of his early stuff was under them. So, uh, I expected to see at least something about him. Uh, so I found it pretty interesting that it was all, uh, all on her and, and, uh, Nicholas Ray. Um, but still a good disc. I'm, I'm glad I have it. Yeah. I I thought the same thing, you know, with, I'm surprised there wasn't a Bogart piece on there, although we do get a lot on Bogart through the, you know, the revisited in a lonely place revisited from uh, Hanson and in the commentary. But uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I'm with you guys. It's a it's an eight pretty, pretty solid. I mean, it wasn't, a, you know, over the moon about the, the commentary, but I, I did like what we we had overall and did take me a little while to uh, go through everything. So that's a good, good sign. But uh, so, Aaron, is this uh, film release canon worthy in the Criterion canon? Uh, no, but I should also say that uh, there's also a good uh, Humphrey Bogart thing in this podcast I know of. I'm going to tell you about that later. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> Pausing. All right, I'll 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 go with you. Uh, obviously, we need to agree on the the canon. I, if you had said yes, I probably would have put it in there uh, because again, it's the only Bogart film. But um, yeah, not not quite there. Would love so, more from Bogart. We'll we'll get into that. Uh, yes, Matt, would you canonize it? Uh, in your canon, I probably I probably would lean lean towards a yes, but um, uh, I you know I, I think I see both sides here. I don't think it's a five star classic masterpiece, mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. um, it's definitely important to uh, to film history and sort of understanding this this crucial character in it. Yeah, I voted quickly, but I, it really was close. I, I do enjoy this film and, and think it's well worth watching and rewatching uh, many, many times. But uh, I, we just put in two films in the canon, A Brighter Summer Day. It's it's kind of, it's a tough act to follow, actually. Yeah. Yeah, yeah nothing, it, everything pales in comparison to that. So. <laughs> nice. Yeah, it was good to watch a shorter film, anyway. Yeah. <laughs> So not quite canon worthy, but that's uh, that is uh, in a lonely place. We're going to take just a quick break and we're going to come back to, as Aaron uh, alluded to, talk a little bit about Humphrey Bogart's. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine.
Was that your plane? Oh, just a little something on my own. Oh, stop it. You know what I want to hear. No, I don't. You played it for her, you played it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. Yes, boss. Welcome back to Criterion Close-Up. I'm Mark Herney here with Aaron West and Matt Gastire, our special guest. And we wanted to talk a little bit about Humphrey Bogart. We're going to talk about his life a bit and his career. So, Aaron, I will turn it to you to uh, lead us in. Uh, Sure. Uh, Humphrey Bogart. What's there to say? (laughs) (laughs) Who's that guy? Quite a career. Uh, Probably one of the most iconic screen legends maybe the most iconic uh, yeah. he's kind he of number one on the afi list so there you go there you yeah go. there we go he had that face yeah you think of all, a lot of the the greatest films uh from the classic period especially from the 40s uh yeah his his films are going to be up there a number of them so yeah very uh, but but also a very unique as we as we kind of mentioned in the uh in a lonely place discussion didn't have your prototypical good looks movie star looks uh uh, different kind of character, and uh, so yeah, I guess we'll just d- get right into it. Uh, Humphrey Bogart, uh, he had a little bit of a difficult early life. Uh, he dropped out of school, or actually, I'm sorry, yeah, he dropped out or was kicked out of school. I, I forget specifically. Matt, do you remember? Uh, well, he was he was kicked out of a couple schools, but yeah, um, hmm. yeah he he did uh, he eventually yeah he eventually called it a day on that. He, he yeah, came up to right. Andover <laughs> around around me for about two months oh really okay cool and he was in the navy uh i I understand he had a a pretty much a rough upbringing there's a lot of mystery i don't think we know Uh, like we mentioned with the busted lip could have come from a number of places maybe in school maybe in the navy who knows maybe his dad Uh, yep maybe his dad yeah Uh, and and yeah again i don't think um his home life was great either but yeah and I, i think a lot of this I think he was a hardened personality, yet he was a smart, intelligent person, uh, even if he wasn't uh, able to show that in school. But he was a intellectual in a way. He liked to read on his own, kind of the school of hard knocks or whatever you call it. Uh, uh, and, and he was actually known for quoting, you know, uh, literary figures later in life. So he uh, he did. I don't think he planned to be an actor, but he kind of stumbled into acting at a young age, got into some drama, and that led to some early film work. Uh, he's actually done a lot of films. Uh, you'd be amazed because, you know, we think of mm-hmm. bogey films, probably most people think of half a dozen to a dozen, but I think he's been into over, over 70, 80 credits, uh, a lot, and a lot of them are from his early years up to, uh, up really up to his breakthrough. Uh, but his first breakthrough was with uh, The Petrified Forest, 1936. Uh, he had struck a friendship with some, some key people. Uh, John Huston was one. That, uh, there were actually a number of uh, familiar figures that would uh, interweave in his life. Uh, uh, Leslie Howard actually uh, spoke up for him for this role to get it. And uh, and also he would star with uh, Betty Davis a lot. In the, I should say star. He would work with Betty Davis a lot. But uh, the Petrified Forest, I, I, I don't remember the billing, maybe fourth or fifth billing, but he did a lot with it, and he uh, he got some notoriety there. I, I don't think he got nominations, but... Uh, he didn't, but just to interject, um, he, he played the role on Broadway, so that was his right. um, entry into Hollywood. He had made a few movies previously, and nothing had really come of it, so he had gone back to New York and um, was performing in plays there and was fairly well-known and got a, an enormous amount of publicity for this role 
and but they wanted to cast somebody else in the role and uh, I, right. I believe it was leslie howard like you yeah. said who stuck up for him and uh so Said he was he able to get with him yeah, yeah. Get, get the role and yeah. then uh, and that's how he got the the warner brothers contract yeah i think yeah. he had maybe maybe a ha- uh, maybe about a dozen film credits uh, before that but really nothing major yeah and you're right uh, and, and that actually happens a lot when somebody does well on the stage and uh and able to take it to the big screen they can make a make a career for themselves yeah i think he actually uh, bogart even um you know he remembered that for the rest of his life and named one of his children uh, leslie uh, that's I right believe. he sure yep. did uh, yeah so important so then uh, the, the the studios of course uh ran everything back then and they didn't really know what to do with him so eventually he ended up being typecasted as a gangster thug uh, I, th- I think he he was either imprisoned or killed in, I, I don't know the percentage, but maybe yeah. half to two-thirds of his <laughs> 30s movies. Uh, right. and I, they, I think they had to kill off the, you know, the gangster had to be killed at the end. He had to get get his comeuppance. So. Yeah. And he was always killed by the same people. It was uh, Edward G. Robinson or right. George Raft or right. Jimmy Cagney. <laughs> Right, because they yeah. work for the same studio. Yeah, and when Bogart dies, he just sort of slumps over, and that's the end. <laughs> but when they die, they get to have a soliloquy for fifteen minutes as they're uh, as they're losing consciousness. The, the slumping Bogart, I, I like that, Matt. Slumping Bogart, I think that's a Twitter handle. Um, uh, yeah, but I, I think we'd. I, and I haven't seen. I've seen a few of of these films, and uh, you know, watching these now, uh, you, you do pick up on Bogart and you, you he's more noticeable than he pro, than he definitely was during the time because you, you'd like to see what he did with the roles but I, I think he did stand out I think he did a very good job playing uh, this type uh, maybe that's because he did have that hardened persona and it was a good fit but also I think he just was a good actor and I think that yeah. that was apparent early on yeah I saw I actually went through a little um watching a lot of early gangster films just a few years ago and of course watch the petrified forest and uh, angels with dirty faces is another one that stands out mm-hmm. and does uh, a duke manatee I, I believe the name is in the petrified forest and he yeah he certainly um stands out i mean you see the bogart menace in that that we'll we'll see in you know, later films like uh, in a lonely place uh he's not you can tell a little bit that he's you know acting right but, right um you know he's pretty pretty solid and uh certainly a, a presence uh, on screen yeah he became known for that role um in the petrified forest and even in the late 40s after he was the biggest movie star in the world people some people still referred to him as duke manti um mm. so it, it's it's kind of a forgotten movie now despite having two huge stars in it um but it, uh, it it did kind of define his career for the first five or so years he was in Hollywood. Um, Angels with Dirty Faces is probably my favorite of his from this era. Mm. Uh, Roaring Twenties is also a pretty good movie. Um, but for the most part, it was pretty pretty rough going. I mean, it was the the B it was the B movies from Warner's for sure, and he was churning them out. Mm-hmm. And I think part of the reason why his perform all of his performances are so good in these movies is that he really was known as a consummate professional for most of his career. I mean, he showed up and did his job 
and uh, you know sp- spend his time complaining off st- offset instead of uh, onset right. about the roles that right, he was right. getting. Right. Even um, if he was you know hadn't slept that night and was you know drinking all night, he'd still right. be there and he'd do his work. And uh, right. oh, that didn't happen. Come on, Mark. No, right. <laughs> Actors didn't drink. <laughs> and uh, and I, I mentioned Betty Davis and uh, uh, and Petrified Forest. He worked with her a lot, but you know people again like Bogart. They think of her as big star, but she was uh, she had leading roles back then. But I think and I didn't research Davis, but I'm, I'm thinking her breakthrough was Jezebel Wilers. Mm. Uh, does that yeah? Sound she right won to you guys? she won an Oscar for Jezebel the the, the next year. Um, right. And that, but she she was uh, you know I mean like a, a lot of Warner's stars she did what she was told right and some of it was a lot better than others so she she was a fairly solid star for them by that point but Mm -hmm. she had had a lot of fights with them about the material that that she was being given um just like bogart did yeah you'd say she was a star but not an a star maybe until jezebel yeah Uh, maybe like a b plus kind of star b b plus uh, there's some really good movies. I, I I'm really partial to one called Dead End. I don't know if you guys have seen that, I but seen that, that one. I, I think that's one of the best early Bogey performances. Uh, you know, pre Breakthrough Bogey performances, and and also really good from uh, from Davis too. And uh, yeah, uh, hmm. Kid, Kid Galahad, a, a boxing movie, and he would do boxing movies again. So anyway, uh, yeah, he so he I, I wouldn't say he he made a good career for himself. He got a lot of work, actually a ton of work. But uh, he he really wasn't uh, uh, a star, and it really wasn't until uh, things changed with the studio. And that, that's it's funny how this would happen: somebody leaves a studio, or they get tired of somebody, or somebody's star fades, or or something, uh, and that gives another another person an opportunity. And and really, his breakthrough. And I'm I'm actually going to credit uh, Mark Harris's book Five Came Back for for this, uh, which I just finished recently. But uh, John Huston actually had worked with him uh, a good bit, and John Huston was trying to cast uh, High Sierra, and at first Paul Muni was his his choice, or, or maybe not his choice, but slated for the role. He was, I think, he was the studio's choice. But Huston and Muni did not get along. Uh, Muni had a lot of success in the '30s, definitely a star, one of the biggest stars. Um, but he had become a, kind of a tyrant on set very demanding and uh houston just had no no patience for the guy Hmm. and uh and i and i forget the 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 way this was orchestrated but um but the studio actually decided to purposely well i think they let him go let muni go and i i I could have this a little wrong so correct me if i'm wrong matt and uh and so what they did is they they started putting bogart in the press as a uh as a potential replacement, and and this would happen back in the, and we've seen this in some films about films, uh, like uh, say Hell Caesar recently. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they plant stories in the press to uh, to get some notoriety, and so Bogey was being groomed for uh, for bigger things uh, around this time, and uh, and again, you mentioned George Raft, Matt. Uh, George Raft turned down a, a lot of roles that uh, that made Bogey a, a star. So um, when when Paul Muni Muni wasn't doing High Sierra. They offered it to George Raft, and he said no, and hello, Bogey. <laughs> hmm. Did yeah, I get George that? Ra- yeah, no, you did. I, I forgot about the Mooney part of, of it. Um, uh, High Sierra is, uh, I think, an, a near classic. Um, uh, it's perhaps most interesting for just how uh, um, on location it is. 
uh, they really just uh, uh, went for it. Um, it doesn't look like a lot of the studio uh, movies of that era, especially from Warner Brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, George Raft, uh, and you, you'll, I'm sure you'll come back to him as, as the Bogart story goes on. Because, I'm uh, right about to, actually. There's a lot of <laughs> it. <laughs> <laughs> I guess Maltese Falcon, he turned that down too. Uh, and if you think about a role that's tailor-made for Bogey, I, I think... Uh, uh, the bogey at that period, uh, the, the gangster stiff trying to transition to a leading man, you know, a private eye, uh, I think is the perfect fit for, for a bogey. So I, I think it's maybe not my favorite movie. I mean, it's a terrific movie and it's a terrific role, but I think it's the the perfect storm to get him to stardom. So uh, are you guys fans of the Maltese Falcon? This was my favorite movie when I was a teenager. Uh, <laughs> I think it's a masterpiece. Um, I think that uh, noir is, is kind of defined by it. Oh yeah. And, uh, and, and the, just the, the, um, template, I mean, he's really the template for every private investigator to come. And it's the movie that made him uh, a big star. Um, I, I love, uh, I, I mentioned this before the cast, but, um, there's a great story about George Raft watching this movie, uh, in a packed theater in New York. It was a huge, <laughs> huge success. And he said, uh, you know, knowing that he had turned down the role, he said, there but for the grace of me, go I. <laughs> That's a good line. <laughs> nice, George. Yeah, I, this was one uh, I had just skipped it for whatever reason and needed to see. So this was the opportunity for me to catch up with it. And yeah, it's it's one that I can see revisiting quite a bit. Uh, great role for Bogart. Uh, important for film noir. I love the performance by Sidney Greenstreet. Uh, it was great. The best. And, yeah, nice to see uh, Peter Laurie in there too. Just uh, as a, you know, seemingly typecast, really good snuggling mm-hmm. character. So it's, and I just love the MacGuffin of uh, the Maltese Falcon. I was, of course, researching to see if it was real. So, um, yeah, pulled me in. Great, to- uh, great totally film. real. Yeah, and this was Sidney Greenstreet's <laughs> first movie, actually, which is right. funny to think about because he's, uh, you know, already um, sort of an established actor on the stage, but. Um, he was terribly nervous uh, making this movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, it does not show on screen. No, he's one he's, of the greats. He's so cool. Yeah. And, well, we were mentioning uh, this gentleman by the name of George Raft, and I, I guess we should say that he was kind of like, he was also kind of a gangster star, but uh, on a higher level than Bogey. Would you say that's fair, Matt? Definitely. He was one of the big three at... Um, at Warner's in the thirties, but, uh, in a very, he was, he had a very, uh, vaudeville style. He, he started out in Yiddish theater. Um, and he is just one of those people that, uh, it's not, his acting style has not aged well. So most people are not aware of him, uh, because of that. Um, but he continued to turn down, uh, Bogart, his Bogart turning down roles (laughs) career is legendary. You want to be famous for something. Uh, <laughs> so, on that note, uh, Casablanca, he turned that one down, too. Hmm. Uh, yeah, what heard of it? What were you thinking, George? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, important film. So, of course, Casablanca, major star. I, I think he was, al- he was already a major star, but this uh, catapulted him to the stratosphere. Yeah, superstardom. Mm-hmm. Superstardom, and, uh, well... He would eventually get a, a better contract uh, a little bit later, but uh, but yeah, uh, tremendous film. I think we've, I think it's pretty much celebrated. It's on. Is it the top of the AFI? Maybe, maybe not. I'm not sure. 
it's I think I think it was number two, uh, at least on the first list, behind Kane. Oh, of course, Kane. Right? How can you forget that that film? Uh, but uh, yeah, I, Rick is again iconic role, uh, and this one I think has had a little bit of more of humanity. It's a, a lot lighter role. Uh, hmm doesn't have that hard-boiled edge uh, and and Rick is a, a, a sympathizing uh, character one that uh, you can identify with un- unlike actually a, a lot of uh, um, his roles even uh, yeah. even his later roles they weren't all, always um, the greatest of people probably but, why it was such a, a such a hit you know because people could identify with him yeah and uh, I, should we spoil Casablanca? I'm sure everybody's seen it, but uh, <laughs> we'll just say that his character was altruistic. Uh, there we go. So, well, he's really America in that movie. So, hmm. I mean, uh, it, it, for for people, you know, diving into uh, to World War II at that point, uh, that was that was their their message of America coming in to uh, to save the day. That's a good point. Yeah, that's that. yeah, definitely, and uh, kind of a perfect storm too. That one was not thought of to be a a pic. I mean, it wasn't a picture. It became an a picture, but it was kind of a, a project that languished and uh, and it was kind of a perfect storm of the the, the way it came together. Uh, became a masterpiece. Uh, Who to thunk it was just going to be just another studio film. So uh, then Humphrey went and worked, uh, did a lot of roles. Uh, I, I think a lot of people see his work after Casablanca as a little bit of a down period, but I think it's important. His, I think his most notable work is his stuff, his work with uh, Bacall, Lauren Bacall. Uh, she was a young, young uh, girl, and they f- first worked on To Have and Have Not. She was, I think, 18 at the time, and uh, he married her. Uh, Better than thirteen, uh, yes. <laughs> and, and if people didn't listen to the last segment, that's not me be, be, being gross. That's uh, that's from some of the uh, the creepiness from that uh, that segment. But he also worked with her on well, the, the Big Sleep. He was also all... married at the time when he yeah <laughs> right right Mayo. yeah uh, and uh, yeah uh, I think it took a year to get out of that and then he married Bacall. Right. I'm I'm sure they they were not together uh, during that year. I'm sure. Right, of course. <laughs> So yeah, they were. There's a really nice. Uh, just to plug the, um, you must remember this podcast. There's a whole thing on Bogart and Bacall, Bacall um, that's definitely worth a, a listen. Cool. Yeah, I'll, uh, I'll I'll link to that. So they also worked on the uh, aforementioned The Big Sleep. Uh, they worked on Dark Passage. They worked on Key Largo together. And am I forgetting any? It's all. Those are the only ones I'm familiar with. Yeah, I've seen all but uh, Dark Passage. Yeah, Dark Passage is interesting. It's different. Uh, it's the perspective is different. It's almost like a first-person per- shooter <laughs> uh, hmm. fr- from 1947. Uh, but uh, of the four, I'd say it's probably my least favorite. Although to have and have not is very. If you've seen Casablanca, you're going to recognize a lot of the same. Very same, similar. Yeah, very much. Hmm. Uh, and Key Largo a little bit too. Uh, but um, yeah, I, I think uh, the Big Sleep is the the masterpiece of this this bunch. Yeah. I, I did like uh, Key Largo, um, you know, brings Edward G. Robinson back as a, a gangster, uh, aging. And uh, so I, and, and the location of uh, Key Largo, I thought was, was well done, kind of made me think of, um, you know, High Sierra a bit, that it, it, op- it it's open at first, but then uh, very claustrophobic. So I like that one. Also available from the Warner Archive on Blue. Yeah, I think that all of them are available from Warner Archive now. All four, right? Uh, 
to have and have not, maybe not. I, I forget. Just came out, yeah. That okay. one just came out. That's right, yeah. yeah. A lot of them came out this year. Dark Passage, too. Are, yeah. are you a fan of these, Matt? Yeah, I, I definitely agree that Big Sleep is the the strongest of the of the bunch. Um, Key Largo is probably my next favorite because of the presence of Edward G. Robinson. They kind of switched their previous roles uh, yeah. for that one. Mm-hmm. Edward G. Robinson's career was on the way down, just yeah. as Bogarts was on the way up. And uh, they always respected each other throughout their career. And I think it shows in the movie where they neither one is, is interested in showing the other one up. They're just sort of doing their thing and doing it really well. Mm-hmm. Are you a fan of Dark Passage? Not really. I, I think it's an interesting experiment. I think it's better... Uh, then Lady on Lady of the Lake, which is the which was the same year, which is entirely in first person, um, and I think that was Robert Montgomery, but um, it's uh, uh, I forget. But um, it, it's an interesting uh, movie, but I I think it's kind of uh, derivative a little bit. Yeah, it's I, I have some issues. We agree too much. What, what what's going on? <laughs> I, I have I have some issues with it too, but. And actually, I, I would say Key Largo is my second, uh, and then third is to have and have not because uh, I, I think it is. I, I, it's a good movie, but it is. Uh, they're, they're definitely trying to reinvent the wheel there. So I then, think it's uh, overshadowed a lot by uh, just the fact that it's their the movie that they fell in love on, um, mm-hmm. and and this, yeah. there's certain scenes you know how to whistle. Those things right, are, are right. very memorable and stick out. But I think if you just sit down and watch the movie, it's a good movie. It's uh, it's not sure. a great movie. Movie. And a well, and then after that, uh, at some point during this, he signed a uh, deal with uh, uh, Warner's where he made two hundred thousand, and that was the the same amount of his previous deal. But he only had to make one film a year, so that uh, was a nice gig for him. But uh, then he, of course, was very much an A star, uh, and I think he was loaned out a few times. So I'd, I'd say his. Um, well, of course, then here comes in a lonely place. That's uh, during this period. And, uh, and and really, throughout the end, I, I think he did pretty good work. I, I When I was reading uh, up on this, uh, a lot of people think that he kind of faltered towards the end. Um, and mm. there are some some films I don't like as much. I, I'm not as crazy about We're No Angels. Uh, this might be unpopular, but I, I don't really like The Barefoot Contessa. But I really like... Uh, and, and actually, I'm, I'm not in love with The African Queen. I, I think it's okay. I, I like Bogey in it. But Spoiler I alert! I'm right there with you. Oh, man. <laughs> uh, I love the harder they fall, and I love the Kane mutiny. Those two. Um, mm. So, uh, uh, late work. What do you guys think? Uh, and th- these are like the last. I, I just encapsulated five years of his life, six years of his life. Uh, yeah, he's favorites, uh, Matt. His his late era is definitely um, a mixed bag. Uh, he. Um, started to produce some movies, including In a Lonely Place, um, and uh, I think kind of was a, was a bit aimless. Um, of, the, of his late era, the 50s stuff, beyond In a Lonely Place, Sabrina is my favorite. Um, like it's Sabrina. a very unusual Good. role for him. Uh, I'm a sucker for romantic comedies, and um, I think he does a really uh, good job in the role, um, despite the fact that he had an enormous amount of trouble on set with Billy Wilder. Billy Wilder. Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. I I don't think it, I don't think it shows up on screen or if it does, it shows up in, in kind of the energy of his performance. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Wilder had a falling out with Betty Davis too, at one point. So, uh, you know, tremendous, 
director, but uh, and yeah, maybe a little bit difficult with his actors. A lot of takes. Hmm. Interesting tie-in with uh, in a lonely place where um, you know the of course we had uh, Graham and Ray were uh, on the outs during that production, but again you don't see it on screen. Um, maybe makes it even better. Mm-hmm. So interesting how that worked. I, I would I like the later career um, Bogart Treasure Sierra Madre was an early one for me. Of course I love John Huston. Mm-hmm. Um, probably come back to that one and uh, you know for this uh, the African Queen was one I hadn't seen before was it's a location shoot another Houston um, in the uh, the Belgian Congo so some interesting stories behind that like Bogart living on baked beans asparagus and scotch whiskey so they said how the uh, (laughs) any of the mosquitoes that would bite him in Houston would you know keel over dead but uh, yeah it's uh, it's probably I I don't know maybe movies are kind of hit or miss I I don't know about the performances but everything I've seen from late Bogart I liked I mean he's he's amazing in the African Queen and uh, that film was a hit Uh, we watched it last night my wife and I and she's not always into older films but she was pulled in by I think by those two characters and their relationship uh, was very interesting so it's pretty melodramatic I haven't I seen it in a in a little while so mm-hmm. I I will say that I should probably give it another try he did win the Oscar for that yeah and I think it's the he performances yeah. I don't know you know the movie itself I I don't know if it's uh, necessarily one of the greats but I think the the performances and the interaction between the two is uh, pretty amazing so yeah I'm, I'm with it so should we, uh, what do you guys think? Should we pick our uh, our favorite uh, performances in film? We've kind of alluded to uh, to some. Uh, sure, and I, I kind of glossed over a couple. Uh, we uh, You mentioned John Huston. Uh, they had quite a collaboration, and we mentioned Tre- Treasure This Year, Madre, uh, great film, African Queen. Uh, I'm, I'm actually not in, in love with the African Queen. I, I think it's more ambitious, uh, and I, I think the filming in Africa, uh, well, of course, that was a very problematic shoot, uh, yeah. But, um, but no, I, and I, I think that he was excellent in it. Uh, I think Bogart was. But bef- before we get to the end, I think we should talk about a lot of people accuse Bogart of playing the Bogart character. And, mm. uh, you know, kind of like the same argument people have with, say, Brad Pitt and George Clooney today. Uh, and they used to have with Leo until The Revenant. Uh, <laughs> but w- would you guys say that that's fair? Do you think he did play a, a type of character? Or would you say that he was able to, you know, get outside of himself matt i think when you're looking at um movie stars there are two kinds of movie stars and uh you know there's the movie star that sort of uh is almost a character actor that that disappears into the role and then there are the people who are who are just going to be them regardless of, of what you're doing and uh i think bogart was that latter that being said i think he had an enormous amount of range within that that persona, and I think he was able to um, to pull that off. I, I also don't think that you can be the level of star that Bogart was and not be that kind of movie star. I think mm-hmm. you have to have an iconic presence that um, is your signature on film, and it's it's going to be hard for you, for for you to watch any Bogart movie and forget that it's Humphrey Bogart, but that's sure. okay. And I think his his skill is being able to um, to convince you that that he is this character, even as he even as you're always aware that that he's Bogart. 
Yeah, yeah I, I could shift. Uh, I mean, with the African Queen, I early on I was thinking uh, of him that way, but I did kind of forget that it was uh, Humphrey Bogart later into the film. Again, just as I, I focused in on their relationship, and it's certainly not the uh, prototypical role for him. So maybe that's what kind of fed into that. That is probably um, the the role that that is least like the typical Bogart character. Mm-hmm. I would I would agree. I think that's safe to say. And actually, it's not very much like the uh, the Hepburn role either. Uh, yeah. So, um, well, and of course, I, I'd be remiss to me- not mention that Bogart got sick and he p- left us way too early. We could have had a, a lot more years. Uh, w- yeah. Referenced uh, smoking in the last uh, episode. Don't smoke, guys. Yeah. Uh, hard drinking, hard smoking. Yeah. He lived hard. And, and I, actually, you know, medical science was not what it was back then. And I... I kind of get the impression that Bogey was not the kind of guy to, you know, not a hypochondriac going to the doctor and getting checked up. So I think they, they caught his, that he was sick late. I, I remember reading that he would have uh, like 30 minute coughing spells. And uh, so, yeah, he, uh, he had a, a pretty painful death. As I understand he pretty much withered away uh, once he was diagnosed. I think it took a, just under a year for him to go mm. uh, after the heart of they fall was his last role. So yeah, I, I tragic end but uh he did leave uh, quite a legacy behind so um so yeah what what are your um favorite roles you want to start matt sure um i i mean i think if i'm if i'm looking at at his career uh it, it's that center center decade that's really the key part of his career and i would probably uh run down maltese uh casablanca um, Treasure Sierra Madre and In a Lonely Place is kind of his definitive roles. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to go with the one that I think most people don't pick, and that's Casablanca. I think that he is massively underrated in that role. He wasn't even nominated for an Oscar, even though just about everybody was nominated for that movie. Um, and I don't think that movie... Uh, I think I love Ingrid Bergman, don't get me wrong. Um mm-hmm. But I think that movie could have survived uh, a different female actress in that role. I don't think that Casablanca would be half the movie that it is without Humphrey Bogart in that role. Agreed. And uh, I think that that there are a few performances in Hollywood history that rival that in terms of what it means to be a movie star. So mm-hmm. that's what mm-hmm. I'm going with. <laughs> All right, Matt. Uh, Mark. Pick. I thought I thought he was nominated but didn't win, but I, I could be wrong. I thought he was nominated for Casablanca and Kane Mutiny and then won for African Queen, but not not sure. I I could I could go with you. I mean I would say those are some great picks, uh, by the way, Matt. I mean I I might want to go for performance tra- tra- or uh, Casablanca, but I'm just gonna go with one film I've only seen once and just blew me away with his um, just performance really I, I don't not necessarily against type but uh, the kind of a villain that he was in the tre- in the treasure of Sierra Madre so I don't really have a, a ton to say about it other than I love the film and love the the turn that he makes and uh, is it's Bogart but it's also uh, not Bogart in that it's not a uh, certainly not a, a likable character as um, he typically is I think in his iconic role so I'll, I'll say um, I'll go with the the director that really seemed to find Bogart and uh, one of the later films, Treasure of Sierra Madre. You were right, by the way. He was nominated for, for Casablanca. I was okay. wrong. 
Um, but he did not win. He he lost to Paul Lucas in Watch on the Rhine. Oh, that that one. <laughs> what, yeah. What film? <laughs> so um, the Oscars that, aren't that probably would have been my pick. that probably would have been my number two pick. Treasure Sierra Madre. Mm, yeah. Well, what about you, Aaron? All right, Matt. I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Oh, uh, are you guys brothers? I swear, you must be related. I I actually was gonna go with. I, I was reluctant to go with Casablanca because. It just felt like the one everybody would go to. But Matt, I agree with everything you say, and and I think the fact the reason it's so quotable is not. I think it's because of Bogart. Uh, you know, I, you think of uh, all those famous lines; they're all Bogart, and uh, and I, I think he just he did capture the humanity, he did capture the hard edge, uh, and and I, again I, I use the the phrase "perfect storm" when talking about the movie. I think it's almost the perfect character for him too, and uh, and it, I I just think it's the one that's lasted the best. But you know, Treasure the Sierra Madre, and I, I, like I mentioned, I like some of his later work. I I, I like uh, his Queeg, uh, uh, Captain Queeg, in uh, or Commander Queeg, in the Kane Mutiny. I think that was again against type, uh, mm-hmm. or against the the Bogart role. And even though uh, his last role was more Bogartish, the harder they fall. I, I guess I just like that movie so much, and it seems like I'm one of the few that. Uh, so I, I, I put that that up there as well as in, in a lonely place. So, but yeah. Casablanca is my vote. Um, and what about your favorite uh, Bogart or your favorite film with Bogart, Matt? Well, my favorite is um, unfortunately Casablanca. <laughs> um, I've probably seen that movie. Uh, you know, that's that's one of the five or six movies that I've seen more than any other movie. I try to watch it once a year. Actually, Brattle, where Criterion started um, in Cambridge, uh, the movie theater, it's a, a, a revival theater here. They show Casablanca every uh, Valentine's Day. So I've gone to that Aww. a couple of times. Oh, <laughs> so I've gone to that a couple of times. And uh, I, I, I mean, it's endlessly rewatchable. Um, if, it, if I had to pick the best bogart movie i'd probably go with treasure sierra madre i think it's uh i think it's one of the best movies of the 40s and uh um sort of on on a a rashomon level of 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 Mm. being archetypal of uh Mm -hmm. um a certain sort of moral tale yeah what about you mark all right i'll go i'm gonna stick with uh okay i'll switch it up i wanted to go with treasure treasure of sierra madre but i'll I'll go with the iconic pick, uh, Casablanca. I think it's the just a, a great overall film. I know it's uh, beloved, but I just I love the location, the backdrop of World War II, this tiny little town where uh, you know people have to uh, to go through, and this the character uh, of Rick, um, just a bit of a antihero, but we still love him. So uh, I'd say that's my my favorite overall film. What about you, Aaron? Well, I think uh, I'm gonna surprise you guys. I'm, you know, we're not talking about Bogart performances here. I think this is a, a really good performance. Uh, I, I actually, I'd say a great performance, but uh, not his best. And I do love uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madre, and I, I almost wanted to go to the uh, John Huston well, but I'm also a big fan of uh, Howard Hawks, and so I'm gonna go with The Big Sleep. Uh, nice. It's just one. Uh, it's one of my favorite noir films, and I think it's it. it it's so confusing. I, I just love how, <laughs> uh, and and I I just love going back on that ride again. Um, so, and and I, I against I mentioned it's my favorite of the Bacall um, pairing, even though she's not as not as prominent in it. Uh, 
and it's not very friendly to the ladies. Uh, you're mm. not, you don't have the strong roles like we had from Graham in uh, in the Lonely Place. Uh, I'm strong performances, but you know, pretty much everybody fell in love with uh, Rick, uh, or not Rick. Uh, <laughs> going back to Casablanca, um, actually, I forget uh, Philip, of course. So anyway, yeah, that's my my favorite film. But of course, Casablanca, Treasure, The Sierra Madre, um, uh, and A Lonely Place is is up there even. Uh, yeah, so many great, great films, uh, s- such a great performer, and this has been such a great discussion. Yeah, so a lot of fun. I think I'll kick it back to you, Mark. <laughs> All right, we'll <laughs> close it out. Um, so that was uh, talking about Humphrey Bogart. Thank you for leading us through that, Aaron. Much appreciated. So we wanted to thank everyone for listening to Criterion Close-Up. We would love to get some more iTunes reviews. Had a few out there and uh, need some more. Uh, Certainly helps uh, get us to, you know, other listeners. Tell a friend. Send us an email. Love some more feedback uh, via email. Feedback at CriterionCloseUp.com. Send us uh, some tweets at CriterionCU. You you can also find uh, Aaron and I on Twitter and on Facebook, Criterion. Facebook slash Criterion Close-Up. And uh, Matt, gas tire, first-time guest, and uh, just lovely to talk to you. Had some really great insights. Thank you so much for coming on Criterion yeah. Close-Up. Thanks. It was fun. Nice. Yeah, Where can folks you, find you? You have a lot of uh, lot of footprints. Yeah, I'm all over. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm uh, Matthew E.G. on Twitter, uh, and I also have the uh, the Twitter account at Criterion Spines. Uh, I'm, I'm in the low 200s right now, but I'm going to plow through it. And, and let's, uh, let's pump some pump some followers. Yeah, to come that. on it's over great, uh, to, and tell me tell me I'm wrong. Um, <laughs> and uh, and then uh, yeah, and then I have uh, the Criterion on the Brain. Uh, it's at Blogspot, but um, if you just Google that, it'll it'll pop up. I got a, I've got a lot of them on, on there. So anytime you want to know uh, what somebody's hastily put together thoughts are on uh, over half <laughs> of the uh, Criterion spines, the the one you're the one you just watched is probably on there. <laughs> Nice. And, and we'll also ha- there. have links in the show notes to all these. So uh, in case you're afraid of the Google, uh, well, thrilled to have you. I think you, you were excellent. So I uh, hope you come back. Uh, a lot of fun. Yeah. Well, it's always fun to talk bogey, but um, I, uh, let's, <laughs> let's get into some uh, Japanese movies next time. <laughs> there we go. <laughs> yeah, we're out of bogey. Uh, this was it. I so know. for now, at least. We'll see. Fingers crossed. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure we'll get more at some point. The How about uh, Warner you, Aaron? Brothers where can we find mentioned. you? Uh a West 505 on Twitter. Nice. And uh, Mark Herney, H-U-R-N-E, at Mark Herney on Twitter and Letterboxd. And uh, coming up on our next show, uh, we're going to get some FaceTime, Aaron. Uh, looking forward to that. Actually, I got a little bit of something in between. Uh, for those who don't know, I'm leaving the country here uh, this week. Uh, actually, a week from the day we're recording. And uh, I got a little something lined up that we're going to hopefully get out before I, I meet with Mr. Herney. And then I'll be hanging out uh, with Mr. Herney, uh, probably eating his food, uh, drinking his beer. Drinking my beer, yeah. uh, the Vernal Vermont beer. There's a, we, we know how to do our double IPAs. You're in for a treat. So we're going to hang out a little bit. We're going to record something. We'll figure out what. Uh, so, uh, But the next cast we're calling North of the Border. Uh, probably going to be something from Toronto, a little surprise. And then there'll be another one that we're calling Livecast. It'll follow it up. So looking forward to it. Nice. Good live content. Thanks, everyone, for listening to Criterion Close-Up. We'll talk to you soon. Mm-hmm.